0: Last time, on Heralds of Tiamat, a horde of problems. As the Farron Fixers entered the room filled with sand, they found themselves knee-deep in it, and upon inspection and closer investigation, two runes were written upon the walls of the rectangular space. Ignis discovered that they were runes of fire and runes of ice determining that the ice rune would be most advantageous for them, but knowing that there was a trick to the trap. However, before they could discover more, Bex, exploring the room further, found a small alcove. In that alcove, a spinning blade of death began to turn, creating a whirlpool and dragging Bex in closer, trying to turn her into Chum. Bex escapes with a teleportation, and as the sand begins to get pooled into the vortex, two octopuses arrive. They seem to have been buried and camouflaged in the sand. and With their arrival came conflict. However, with quick thinking from Corellia, they said the magic words, Senior Fish has allowed us to proceed. The octopuses seemed scandalized by this, but put down their tentacles and allowed the fixtures to continue trying to solve the problem of the room itself. Upon closer examination, it seemed that trying to finish one of the two runes was the way to escape or turn off said Blades of Death. Quick thinking from Corellia realized that the ink jar of imagination would be able to provide the shape and contours they needed to fill and finish the rune. Upon filling it and finishing it, the room became cold, frigid, like slush, causing the party to feel exhausted and cold. As those tried to move, they realized it was even harder to move through this space than it was before. That difficulty caused them to have to hurry because they knew that the blades were only gonna stay slowed and stopped for so long. Making it to the next room and a deft lock picking from Corellia, they gathered the materials and magical items from the magical ice chest and then were teleported out just in time by Motsu before the blade started up again feeling glad that they've finished that room they head back to the main chamber knowing that they have to somehow befriend the sand not knowing what this means they try to create a dialogue but it falls flat as the sand itself seems to be quite sassy and capricious at best. However, Corellia comes to an insightful moment, realizing that the sand acts like a child, and children don't like being told what to do, so telling them exactly what not to do is usually a good way to get what you want. Some clever reverse psychology caused the sand to question and be confused by Corellia's predicament. However, during the conversations, Corellia wrote out the word "silent" in the sand. This word triggered the phrase and caused those who were harmed by the altar's machinations of the previous room, as well as the deafening silence itself to occur, which worried everyone, because that means the timer was back on. Spells could not be cast And some of them were blind And senseless Corellian, knowing that the sand Is still communicable Made it clear that they had no issue with it That everything was fine They loved it here The sand wanted to make them suffer It seemed to become more malicious As Corellia made it seem like They were having a good time This drove the sand To take them to the next room That they were in before The sand room and as the sand began to fell inside, a hole, a pit, deep, started to open up. And the Farron Fixers thought, well, they've been going down this whole time. What's a little further? Heading down in the sand, hoping that the next room is not going to be worse than the last. They Enter a cool, warm, sound-filled place. The water temperate, like the outside of the Silent Maw. They could speak, and suddenly their maladies were gone. The effects of the temple seemed to have worn off. With that, they took a look around, realizing there was nothing there. This concerned them, as there was no way in or out anymore. Taking a look around, they noticed one thing there a man. Dressed in a black uniform with a rapier at his side and a smug look on his face and aquamarine glint in his eyes, he was staring at them, and they were staring at him. The fair and fixtures were wondering, how is he standing in water and at an angle? The man walks up the slope, talking to himself, seeming curious while at the same time glad that there are other people here. He is soon to be revealed as a man who has no true name. He's called many things, a storyteller, the traveler, strange, hoid, wit, duster. He's been called many things. He says to the best of his ability, he is a person who gave up power and is now empty of it, but more free than the others his cryptic description of himself, as well as his reason for being here, perplexed the Farron Fixers, but he wasn't hostile and seemed to be communicable. Talking with this strange character, the Farron Fixers began to try to explore the area, and he explained the situation, there's a lot going on here, and that if you wanted to escape or get some support, that he was willing to do it, but they would have to answer a question for him and he would tell them in a form of a story this triggered something in Xian's mind an insightful moment of history realizing that this man here has been altering the temple the horrible conclusion came to the fact that this temple is likely not exactly how Shale intended it the strange talking fish the lengthy Written story on the altar These things Seem to have been Changed for his amusement And well There's no telling If the Farron Fixers seem amused by it The understanding Moving forward was that The character of a man could help them Escape By telling them a story So as they took a long rest He began to tell them He made it clear that they had each a chance to answer the question, and that if enough of them answered quickly and precisely the correct answer, he would help them out more. However, if none of them answered correctly, he would not help them at all. And so the story began. It was a story about what people value in others. Acumen, innovation, intellect. Novelty, originality—there was many things explained in the story. Beautiful sand being done in different colors and shapes, and people. The character, the storyteller, mesmerized the Baron Fixers with the bout of information, and the question was posed again and again: What do people value in others? Baron Fixers threw around many things: relations. The value of others is from the value they value them in themselves. Change was brought up. There was many thoughts, but after a few wrong ones, they finally came to a conclusion. Motsu and Shion realized that there was a theme. This man is trying to stay within the lines of something. The confines. An educated explanation what is something that they've been worried about this whole time something that they valued and they valued in each other and in others it was timeliness timeliness was the answer they had to get out of here as quickly as possible they didn't want to turn into fish they didn't want to run out of air they had to keep moving and had to arrive just in time or be forgotten be lost perish with the storytellers story answered he gave them two hints one that the place they see before you the nothing must be destroyed and two that the gold they receive here and the money and, and trinkets they get must be scrubbed by their Lord's Alliance if not they're going to run into some trouble down the road whatever that means With that, he began to fade, as characteristic of the other figures in this temple. Was he just part of the test, Shale's illusion, or was he some otherworldly being, as he seemed to respond to Ignis's augury during the questioning? We'll see if they meet him again, somewhere down the road. But with that past them, they took their long rest and began searching the room, realizing that a dispel magic would work just great on destroying this space. Crushing it down and destroying it, the room grows cold and the room is filled with destroyed ships and beautiful filigrees and gold and money and jewels and items. Pharaoh and fixers are excited and they run around, searching for the tooth that Forlorn lost, including, stuffing their pockets of gold. However, it seems that they really are not alone at the bottom of this water temple in the horde as golems of greed and swarm and mimics and drakes rise from the riches, attacking them in ferocity. We'll see what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat. Looting and faith. Last time on Heralds of Tiamat. Loot and faith. The Faerun Fixers are embroiled in a combat. The hordes of golems and swarms of coins, and the mimic horde, giving them lots of trouble. This lizard like drake made of gems and gold, hitting them with magical lightning blasts, acid, and a myriad of other strange effects. Mages in up close quarters getting hit for even casting spells and trying to escape without teleportation seems to be. Less fruitful. The battle rages on. The fair fixers manage to get their axe together, turning people into animals and boosting some of their healths, as well as switching some key party members from certain locations. They manage to fend off the golem horde that is defending this temple's mud as they do, the final coins fall and the creature is dead. They lie successful in the cold waters of the Silent Water Temple. They look around and realize there's a lot here. There's more money than they can carry. Platinum, gold, trinkets, items, weapons and magic items galore. This is more than they've ever seen as a group. And they're trying to figure out what do they take and what do they leave behind. Emptying out their bags and figuring out how much they can carry, they take roughly over 150,000 gold worth of items and money. And they also take 32 magic items, not knowing necessarily what they are, and not wanting to spend more time here worrying about wits strange foreboding they begin their search for the item that they came here for the tooth or the strange object that belongs to forlorn searching around the gold piles and as they were cleaning them out they found a tunnel that leads deep down down into a part of the sun's water temple that uh, seemed separate A place made more to hide than to really have as part of the bounty. Making it to the bottom and entering this beautiful cascade of what seemed to be illusioned. Magical fish and area, they find the object they are searching for, for Lauren's Tooth. It seems to also be part of the only way out of the temple. Trying to figure out what to do with it. The Farin-Fixers touch it on several occasions and see if any reaction occurs. They realize that the tooth seems to be unmovable unless all of them are touching it, and when all of them do, taking a risk, they disappear. Tooth shrink into a marble and they appear, outside, where the Maw was, in front of the Eye of the Void. This doesn't solve too many problems, because this area was also difficult to escape and sealed off from them. However, Bex is aware, and so is Motsu, that there is an Aboleth inside this Eye of the Void, this large sphere of strangely mixing colors. As Aboleth makes itself known, it makes a deal with the Fairy Fixers. I will help you escape, but only if you take me with you. I want to be free of this place. The Faron Fixers don't want to waste more time and realize that this ableth while a creature of evil and ancient powers, is an enemy of an enemy, which can be used as a friend for now. They decide to release the Aboleth with them and travel out of the space. The Aboleth shrinks into a marble size object and escapes with them as they are all teleported outside the temple. Exiting the water and realizing the drainage and that the mod itself slowly becoming stagnant it seems. The and Fixtures walk up the cliff's edge trying to see if there's anything changed about in the area. Not noticing much, they start to walk towards the Endowed, the ship that they plan to fix with one part of their mission done, ready to take a long rest. And some of them do. Some of them start to fall asleep. One by one, the fair and Fixers begin to drop, all but Jax, who seems to be immune to magical sleep. He looks around, realizing what's going on, just a moment too late. His darts begin to fly into his body, five of them. He doesn't get to defend himself, looking around, confused, strangely worried. His body starts to lock up. He fights off the poison as much as he can. But as he collapses onto the ground, the strange magical devices don't seem to be poisonous. They seem to be like a hold. And he just freezes up, his eyes staring blankly, watching as lizard folk come out of the woodwork. Fearing that their bounty is going to be stolen from them, Jack's rails against his bonds, trapped, but witnessing that they only take Motsu. And they take him away in a direction he cannot see further. A few hours later, as the fern pictures begin to wake up and they begin to wake each other up, they start they realize that their lizard friend has been taken. Motsu. Awake and paralyzed upon the altar of the high temple with a shaman who seems to be speaking in a jaconic language about being the one, the grave oracle, and that we must take from him and give him more. And as this goes on, his confusion becomes terror. Motsu's eyes are being removed. The pain, the feeling surges through his body and he passes out only to wake up to his friends who have found him on top of the high temple seemingly soaked from the weeping, with wrappings around his eyes concerned that his eyes have been removed Corellia tries to do a medicine check and realizes they he has some eyes whether or they're not they're his eyes well that is yet to be determined Upon more inspections, they decide to not stay in the High Temple as the beauty there, the woman in charge of the temple, now free of it, has left to the woods in the jungle, apparently trapped by the temple only to tell people to go to it until someone actually succeeded. Upon this, the fair and Fixers finally head to the endowed, only to be hit with another obstacle. A massive... Six-headed, Hydra-like dragon, seemingly perched and floating around the endowed. Terror fills the the Farron Fixers. A battle so soon, before they took a rest, they are worried that they might not be able to handle it. What's worse, Jax makes it clear that that creature is carrying someone. Someone dangerous. Someone who must be stopped. The apostle of the great worm Steins is the apostle of Shale Abanoctran, and he is the mad creator. He apparently is on this island creating hydras, and this one is his latest creation. The pharaoh pictures realize that the Yuan and the lizard folk here might be being used for his experiments, and that is a danger to them and their fellow races. What will happen next? We'll find out what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat. Welcome to the jungle. Last time, on Heralds of Tiamat, welcome to the jungle. The Farron Fixers found themselves on their currently decommissioned airship, the Endowed. Gehenna successfully evading another confrontation with two strange, scaly people who come upon the ship every two days. One, the Apostle Steins of the Great Worm Shale Labanoktran and the other an anathema, the one that is likely being hunted by Anelli. The situation has gone dire, as they realize that they are going to need to deal with this apostle on the island in order to escape properly. The creature has been making abominations using the lizard folk and Yuan-Ti, particularly Hydra abominations. These Hydra are said to be different than the others and come in many forms. They are engineered, so they are not your typical Hydra, as the mythical verses and things may state. Note, with that knowledge, the Farron Fixers venture into the jungle, hopefully, to find these other Hydra walls, searching for the crystals that will fix their airship. There are three control crystals, two of flight and one of movement. They need to seek these out in the temples that are supposedly deep in the jungle. Motu is hell-bent on reaching the lizardfolk temple to try to get some answers about his new vision. As they head into the jungle, a couple things begin to become clear. This is a strange place and the plant life is not natural. As Rustari attempts to speak with one of the plants, all she hears is screaming. And as Motsu and the rest of the party come upon a strange set of webbing that seems to stop every type of magical and physical force, or at least slow it down and absorb it, they decide to turn back and go around. But Motsu quickly realizes that that was the wrong choice. As they turn around, they realize they weren't where they were before. It seems not moving forward in a jungle like this causes you to end up in different places. And That would also say that if you come to a stop or short rest or long rest long enough, you might end up in a different part of the jungle than where you were originally. This is difficult as survival already been tough enough, trying to find out which way the large creature that carries this island is going while at the same time trying to keep a general north direction in their minds. With the jungle's difficulties mounting, they decide to try to press forward as quickly as possible. As they do, they run into those spindly drake spiders. They are the creatures that created that strange web, and as they attempt to sn- snare the Varan Fixtures' prey, they end up getting destroyed themselves. As they are killed and Vistari attempts to take an arm with her and succeeds, the party Heads on, hoping that their period of time in that comment wasn't long enough to initiate a moment of lostness. Upon heading deeper and deeper into the forest, hopefully heading towards the temple they can see in the distance, they see something else. Heads. Of long, sinuous, snake-like forms rise above the tree line. It's a hydra, a huge one, a gargantuan one yellow scales and seemingly seven heads. The Farron Fixers attempt to sneak by and see if they can get the jump on the creature. However, the creature susses them out, as it seems that all of its heads have different forms of perception. They were told that they were genetically engineered, but they didn't realize how far. As the combat ensues, the Farron Fixers are embroiled in aim fast, but dangerous combat. As Jax comes in hard, hitting as many heads as possible, trying to cut them off and sever them from regrowing, he doesn't see as they fall to the ground that the heads themselves begin to spawn into smaller Hydra. This abomination is truly a terrifying experience as each of these smaller Hydras of the lopped-off heads begin to grow more heads, seven each full bodies, and they start attacking. As the Farron Fixers realize that their action economy has been dissolved and that this creature has now 28 attacks on its turn, they have to kill it before it gets another round. The battle ensues and it is hard-pressed, each party member focusing on each individual Hydra attempted to kill it in its entirety instead of letting it multiply exponentially. Barely succeeding in killing the final and small Hydra the Farron Fixers breathes in. Worried and terrified. As Motu begins to think on the moment, he realizes that this is probably one of the failed experiments he worries what could possibly be a complete Hydra to this Apostle's design. but not wanting to stick around too long and cause another forest ship they head to the temple. The Hydra seem to be guarding the near entrance to it and as they enter the nearby area they see that there are patrols heading into the forest of lizard folk troglodytes, and some dragonborn, a hodgepodge of what would be considered scaly individuals. This does not bode well, as they can see the crystal in the center of the place, and they see that the back doesn't seem to be guarded, or that uh, could be a trap. Who knows? We'll find out what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat, The Temple Heists. Last time on Heralds of Tiamat, Fate of the Tribe. The Farron Fixers found themselves in a bit of a dilemma. They were at the temple. They could see the flight crystal, but it was crawling with scaled individuals, particularly lizard folk, some from Motsu's tribe and others from other tribes, it appears. Lightly guarded on the back, the Farron Fixers decide to sneak in using Jax and Vistari's pass about a Trace, to get as closely as possible to the crystal, steal it, and then escape into the forest. As they begin their approach, Jax notices a strange phenomenon. While they do make most of the way without being discovered, the Lizard King, in question, the one that seemed to remove Motu's eyes from Motu's estimation and explanation, noticed them. Strangely enough, doesn't do anything. Jack's not wanting to misread good fortune, decides to rush it and take the crystal. Flying off into the forest and having the farin fixtures give chase, the lizard folk give chase as well. Shouting, in to the rest of their allies and scaled individual, We will capture them. We will use our tools. And the chase begins. Fern fixtures rushing through the difficult terrain, realizing that the lizard folk here don't seem to have as much difficulty traveling traversing this terrain. As they do, and they get deeper, they begin to realize this is a challenge. They start to knock over trees and create a brush. A magical item, the decanter of water, is used to slow them down. And while they think that they have successfully pushed them back far enough to escape into the forest just by making a couple right turns Vistari doesn't seem to like what's going on using their perception to try to discover any type of issues or problems ahead they notice something that has been apparently occurring the whole time they have been tracked there's other lizard folk into trees and just beyond sight they have been pushed into an ambush not liking this and holding their ground, the Farron fixtures decide to fight. And as the battle ensues, spiked growths are used and walls of thorn brought out. It seems that the lizardfolk shaman as well as the scale shields are built for long term co- combat. Combat that seems to use the magical abilities of the shamans and the quick trident abilities of their higher echelon creatures to drag and harm the Farron Fixers through spiked growths of the terrain. Not wanting to be harmed in this way, the Farron Fixers find a congruency among each other and manage to strategize how they avoid taking the brunt of this strategy. While this is going on, Jax manages to grab the king or the man in charge and drop him among the Farron Fixers to be destroyed, hopefully killed and scaring off the rest of the lizard folk. However, it seems that this is exactly what he wanted. His focus purely on Motsu and wanting to come within grasp of him has only made this situation worse. He he takes blows and hits, but it, before he goes down, seemingly harmed enough to die, he grabs upon Motsu and his body begins to become formless. His, his skin and his scales and his body begin to seep into Motsu's pores and scales and as Motsu's eyes shake with the ferocity and pain of this realization that he is being violated in some strange way he manages to hold on to his sanity while this is going on his shaman his former shaman of his tribe has turned into a terrible beast a savager that is tearing through his allies and trying to get to him the Baron Fixers manage to dispatch the rest of the lizard folk and fight this beast one-on-one. And in its death throes, it attempts to kill any one of them, but fails. The Farron Fixers, finally seeing the beast felled, witness a strange event. The Shaman, his body begins to congeal. And in its last moments, Motu comes over, not trying to heal him. Because realizing that his body is already gone, or rather his soul claimed he hears a common phrase said among his people. I shall not meet you in the returning. This is a perversion of their original saying, which is, see you in the returning, which is usually reserved for warriors in combat who have died, and they expect to be reborn in Sumaya's power and in the next birthing cycle. But it seems the shaman of Motu's tribe will not be doing that, as it seems that his soul is claimed by the abyss, by a creature that is not named by Motu, a villain, a monster, a self-proclaimed lizard folk emperor. Motu, furious at this and not understanding what has happened, realizes that his tribe is gone and storms off to try to find safety. The rest of the Farron Fixers come come to a conclusion upon some light investigation that this was a terrible and unfortunate event. And while it seemed that the battle could not have concluded in any other way, it was clear that this is what the Lizardfolk wanted. They wanted to fight and die on their own terms, instead of being used in the way that forced their beliefs of survival to dictate. They engineered a situation where the Farron Fixers would have to kill them, and they gave it their best! And they succeeded. Solemn and melancholy, Baron Victors return to a safe location using Vishdari's tree stand ability to make a safe location for them. Ready to be teleported and moved as it seems to be the situation at hand, Motu, on his watch, realizes something there's a strange tug this feeling in his mind and while he thinks his sanity is waning he pauses and focuses on his eyes and feels and feels something he focuses on his eyes and feels something tug and as he does he lets it he lets it go and he perceives differently his eyes his skin, his body, some suddenly becoming a tensor, a a vibrating form. He can see, but without sight. He feels that he can travel blind and feel around and know exactly where everything is. While the f- effect only seems to last an hour, Motu has gained an ability. He worries that he'll have to pervert himself further in the name of his god in order to become more powerful or powerful enough to stop the atrocities happening among his people but until then it's time to turn their heads to the other temples in the jungle we'll find out what happens next time on heralds of tiamat the iron mage eater Last time on Perils of Tiamat, the Iron Mage Eater. The Ferenfixers were being teleported around. As they suspected, being in one place too long seemed to move them anywhere in the forest. Whether or not the forest is moving them or they're being moved around the forest has yet to be determined, as it seems to only happen if you stay in the same place for a little bit over an hour. During the long rest, they move three times and end up in a location where they seem to see another Hydra. The flying one that seems to f- come out of a lake where a whirlpool is. And then they are moved again in front of a pit. Massive, deep, dark hole in the ground that seems to have no end and no bottom. Not wanting to be distracted by the strangeness of this area and Taking the time to look around, they decide to head for the mountain range. There seems to be only one, and it'd be a good vantage point to try to see the rest of the jungle. Crossing a massive river and using water walk to make it easier on themselves, the Fixers traverse the jungle, narrowly avoiding several encounters, and arrive at the foot of the mountainous terrain. However, there seems to be something living here, as they've discovered this Jungle is home to many dangerous creatures. Not just lizard folk, but also strange abominations, hydras, and monstrosities. Not knowing the language that the strange markings are written in, the fair and fixers trudge forward. They continue on and head up the mountain range. It seems to still be difficult to rain but it is at least different. Better than it better than what they were dealing with before this mountain range. Different, at least in a good way. And as they begin their trek higher up, they reach a spot where it seems to be a mile plateau, and they witness something. On the winds and in the echoing ranges, they see the Apostle, seemingly touching what seems to be a formation, a large object, of silvery greenish hue hardly discernible and different from the rest of the mountain range maybe a strange rock formation one of its heads move the massive Hydra seems to cover the entire opening of what seems to be the 100 to 200-foot rift that guards the temple below and the Apostle seems to be treating it like a dog Seeming to want to find a name for it, he calls it the Iron Mage Eater and whisks away to deal with more pressing matters, likely making more terrible abominations such as this one. This creature seems to be particularly favored and, based on the fixture's explanation, very dangerous to fight, especially in a mountain range. As it seems to have an easy way of navigating around and completely covering large spaces easily, they decide to try to. Lure it out, hoping that they can outrun it with enough head start and enough gusto to lead it into the forest. Where, if they fight it and might lose, they can at the very least try to use the forest to their advantage and escape into the madness. The plan takes hold, and they 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 get the creature to follow them. And while they were worried about it catching up, it seems to hunt the other creatures that are up here strange blue-like spiders that were following the Farron Fixers. Who knows what their intentions were, but they're being slaughtered and they are next if they keep holding on and looking back. They decide to slide down the mountain pass and reach a cliff's edge and jump into the pools of water, hoping not to be harmed by water, water walk, but realizing that they're still buoyant to some degree, they sink into the ground. As they continue, the Hydra seems to be able to change sizes this iron scale mage eater seems to have a versatility of abilities its form moving quickly using its heads like an octopus to pull across this the terrain and its size changing to avoid what seems to be difficult difficult spaces for it to reach and power through it seems it can turn from large to gargantuan in moments this does not bode well as the friend Fixers become more demoralized as they reach the river. Hoping to cross it before it reaches them, they, they skitter across some fly, some jump, and they manage to make it just before the creature reaches them in the forest. Barreling through, the massive iron scale mage to Eater starts its attack. The Farron fight a pitched battle as the creature seems to have multiple resistances. Do every type of magical attack except radiant and necrotic. It has also seen to be resistant to magical damage as well. This creature was built to kill mages and the like. Anything really that could be magical in that essence is truly a complete creation of the apostles. Mad schemes. It is clear that he needs to die. Otherwise, things like this being created could change the world as they know it. Fighting desperately and attempting to kill it it's as tough as it is, the and Fixers manage to slowly wear it down. Its abilities and strange features seem to be focused on maintaining a defensive and healing factor. It is very similar to an infantry creature, something that is heavily armored and takes a lot of blows. However, it is not fast, and it, it doesn't seem to have too many versatilities. While it can trample you and cause massive damage in large large areas it doesn't seem to have any other special abilities well this is enough to give the parent pictures pause and nearly kill all of them they finally figure out how to defeat it with anelli's magical ability and keeping her up in her radiant smites she manages to hit the creature and keep it from regenerating and while it does have other features to keep it from falling from this one effect is still dying Slowly but surely, the fairing fixtures plow through it, hitting it, smashing it, crushing it, doing their best to harm it in any way, shape, or form. And Anelli finally deals the final blow, crushing the head and seeing the radiant flame of her ability and crackle with lightning across the creature's body, convulsing it and having it collapse onto the ground. Its form seems to shift and change to a huge creature, likely its original form. Dead. As they breathe in and worry about the fights to come, they wonder if the flying one is more dangerous. Who knows? But they have to make it back to that temple somehow. Another rest is in order. However, they are worried that the longer they rest, the more the rain will seep into their bones. If they spend too much time here. They will they will begin to die slowly. We'll find out what happens next time on heralds of tiamat the temples